Hello friends. This is Grace Hot Pants Langhine with your third episode of The Mullet Chronicles. The Mullet Chronicles is a spin-off from the Running Mullet podcast. Why a mullet, you might ask? Well, the mullet haircut is described as business in the front, party in the back. And Eric Kosak and I bring you stories from the front, him in the front of the pack, me in the the big party in the back of the pack. And uh, and we bring you episodes from the front and the back. So we call ourselves the running mullet. But this this particular spinoff podcast is the Mullet Chronicles with race reports from the interwebs from the front and the middle and the party in the back of the pack. And here's what I do. I provide a quick overview of a particular race report and then I read that race report word for word. So one episode equals one race report. And if you are interested in submitting your race report, you can send them to me on Facebook, Instagram, and at therunningmullet at gmail.com. And I, I look over the race report. If I have any questions, I reach out. And like I said, I don't change anything. I, I read it word for word. And I also send it to you so you can listen to it before it gets published. You can, you can give the final okay. Uh, before I publish anything. And today's episode is a special episode. It's not a race report. It comes to us from Marisa Kovac. And she, she emailed me and she said, Grace, I think I have a story to tell. And Marisa is a phenomenal storyteller in the written word. And I like to read those written words. So um, that's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to uh, do to you. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to, I'm going to read, uh, Marisa's story to you. She's, uh, Marisa is an awesome ultra runner from Pennsylvania. You can find one of her race reports from the Eastern States 100 in your most recent issue of the Eat Clean Run Dirty magazine. Um, if you are not already a subscriber of that magazine, you should be. Uh, Marisa also recently completed the Pennsylvania Triple Crown, and uh, then she came on the regular podcast, the Running Mullet podcast, episode 36. She came on live onto the show and talked to Eric and I about her story. So if that episode, the live episode, is like a movie, then this episode that you're listening to now is like the book version. And you can hear them in either order. You can, if you already heard that one, you're going to, you're going to love this story. Um, if you're listening now, I encourage you to go back and listen to the running mullet episode 36. Uh, and I think you can hear that she, Marisa is very genuine in everything that she's saying. And, and she's truly telling the story because of this intense, um, uh, kind of calling, I think, to, to share in order to help others. Um, and so that said, a quick content warning, she does talk about her eating disorder. Uh, if that is triggering for you at this point in your life, you might want to skip this episode. Uh, but that's your intro, introduction. 
Um, now, again, I read this word for word. So this is um, everything from her. So we are going to get into Marisa's story. The story is titled Searching for Peace, Finding Freedom. A quote from Josephine Hart. Damaged people are dangerous. They know they can survive. Dawn seduces me with her silence. Her darkness pulls me out of bed in the mornings. Her crisp, clean air creeps underneath my covers and slides its way between my toes. Her mystery captures everything that's curious in my heart, and I'm powerless against her pull. Before you know it, I'm up, out of bed, clothes barely on, hair matted down with a beanie that smells of both sweat and shampoo, eyes barely open, teeth barely brushed, but I wear a smile that spans ear to ear. I can see the stars through the window before I even open the garage door to embrace her chill. They are brilliant and they are everywhere. I spend 20 seconds stretching my legs, click on a headlamp, adjust my gloves, and head out into the black morning. The eyes of deer illuminate in the light of my headlamp and peer back at me, watching waiting, wondering who was invading their space, disrupting the quiet norm of their early morning slumber. A reminder that this is their home, not mine. I am merely a visitor who never received a formal invitation. To run at dawn is to experience the closest thing I can to peace. Peace a concept, a place, a feeling I have always struggled to find in life. There is something to say about a head that never stops spinning, never boring, always exhausting, leaves you caught between wanting to feel more, wanting to feel everything, and at the same time, wanting to feel nothing at all. For as far back as I can remember, there have been thoughts, constant ones. They clutter my mind space and fill me with intensity. There is so much, always, all the time, that peace is a word that I have a hard time making a connection with. I can't quite commit to it. Peace is there, just on the horizon. I can see it. I can smell it, but just as I make my way closer, it slips away, taunting me with its calm, teasing me with its promise. Often, I feel that I am not worthy of it, not yet anyway. I have more learning to do, more experiences to cherish. I have more work to do. Work on myself, on my life, on my family, my career, my desires, my potential. Perhaps dawn is my gateway, my gateway to peace. September 2009, fourth floor of the UCLA Resnick Neuropsychiatric Hospital. A nurse. 
And there is where we eat meals as a family every day, all of us together. You will sit there, pointing at a rickety chair, and I will sit here, staring at a large chair that swallows the entire table. You will eat everything on your plate before you are permitted to leave. Me. I'm sorry, what? A nurse. Your meals have been planned by certified dietitians, and they meet the exact caloric needs of your body. Me, I'm confused. What makes you think you know what my body needs? A nurse. It's our job to know that. Me. No, it's your job to watch over me as I struggle to remember what it is like to even have a body. It is your job to grab my hands when you see me starting to slip back into the black hole of an eating disorder that has more than once tried to kill me. It is not your job to know what my body needs. That's my job. I just need to remember how to do it. In the fall of 2009, I was admitted, of my own accord, into the Adult Eating Disorder Unit of the UCLA Resnick Neuropsychiatric Hospital. I was tired. I was broken. I was voluntarily empty and void of emotion. At that point, I had spent more than half of my life throwing myself into and then trying to claw my way out of an eating disorder that was all-consuming. During my short stay there, group therapists had me dig through my past, trying to find a reason for my distorted thinking. They had me bleed letters to my former self, They had me spend hours in an occupational therapy room, not much larger than a coat closet, painting mugs and listening to Jack Johnson songs on repeat. They took me on supervised walks around the track, and we all did yoga together on the scratchy carpet of the fourth floor lobby. They sat me down with their personal therapist that I'm certain would go cry in a corner when my sessions with her were over, and then they sat me down in front of the director of the entire program, a brilliant and experienced doctor whom I questioned for hours about the validity of his program, screaming things out to him like, what makes you think you can Fix me when I am not even broken. Have you ever had an eating disorder? No? Okay, then don't pretend you know what it's like. I would like to see the credentials of where you earned your doctorate degree. All of it only to leave against medical advice. A more 30, mere 32 days after I was admitted by the signature of my own hand. It is an ongoing thing, not just with me, but with many of us. If you collapse into the grip of an eating disorder at a young age, you grow with it. Or maybe I should say it grows with you. It becomes your parasite. It sits on your shoulder for life, reminding you that your thoughts don't belong to you. 
It tears away anything that was ever a symbol of goodness or joy or calm in your life and replaces it with self-hate and disgust and guilt. It becomes a barrier, a breaking point, a boundary. It creates a fissure between the body that you have and a mind that is trying to ignore you have it. And just like all fissures, it grows. For years and years, I went back and forth. I walked to the slippery and fragile ledge of death and did so voluntarily peering over with curiosity, almost longing, wanting to rid myself of an identity that was doing a very effective job of trying to kill me. I was hospitalized twice and fired a dozen therapists in my search for peace. I found any reason and made every excuse to be alone. I ripped myself violently from relationships that could have very well saved me and in their wake left nothing but destruction. You see, when you take an eating disorder and chip away at it until you get to its bones, its structural being, what you see is that an eating disorder is nothing more than an addiction. It is a confession of weakness. It is a black hole that you strut right into without knowing the tragedy and the fight that is in store for you up ahead. But unlike other addictions, an addiction to alcohol, narcotics, gambling, even sex, where you can, after a tremendous amount of hard work and commitment, Cut those things out of your life altogether. There is no cutting food out of your life. You are forced to recreate a balance that you just spent half, more than half of your lifetime trying to demolish. There is a harmony you are expected to take part in, a common ground where the world wants you to drop to your knees as a symbol of reconciliation, companionship restored. This is not easy. In fact, this is the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. It is a battle of epic proportions, and it is one that I fight daily. You are never fully recovered from an eating disorder. Food is always here. After all, it is a staple of this beautiful life. When I think about how I neglected this staple, this blessing for so long, and how much time I wasted hating not just food, but hating my body itself, I am overwhelmed with guilt. My story is unique in that what saved me was not a certain amount of time in a rehab facility. It was not a collection of therapists or doctors. It was not the fourth floor of the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Hospital, although they are known for the success of their world-class eating disorder program. It was not deep meditation in the desert or Jack Johnson songs on repeat in a coat closet. 
What saved me was much simpler than all of that. It was passion set on fire. I realized that I can't run a marathon on three carrot sticks and half a container of fat-free yogurt. I mean, I tried. It didn't work. In order to run, I had to eat, and God, did I want to run. So it came down to this. I got angry. I got good and fucking angry. Angry at an eating disorder that completely turned my life upside down and left me in shambles. I used to be a thriving woman with feelings and flesh. And one day in the middle of it all, I looked in the mirror and I saw an outline of this woman, not a human, barely a person, not a body, but a shell. So instead of finding a common ground with food, I started zeroing in on its purpose. I can use food and not have to love it. Food is fuel to me, bottom line. It is a delicate relationship now, one I don't often mess with. I eat I eat clean, and I eat well, and at mile 64 of a 100-mile race, you can typically find me with bacon in one hand, a cup of Coke in the other, and my pack bulging with peanut M&Ms. But here I am, a woman now, a woman eating. We all have our demons, each and every one of us. But those of you reading this have a magic tool up your sleeve to fight them off that I don't know you realize is there, right under your nose and below your feet. You have the trails, the perfect venue to slay these demons in whatever form they may manifest for you. I have been known on the trails around Pennsylvania for this smile that never leaves my face. I mean, you couldn't wipe it off even if you tried. Oddly, it comes from a place of darkness. That is where its roots are. I spent so much of my life shackled behind steel bars in my mind. Bars I manifested out of thin air all on my own. What I went through, I have no one or nothing to blame except myself. So today, I take full responsibility for that. I own these past conflicts. I created these demons that haunt me. And now I get to slay them daily. Every footfall, every stride, and every passing mile is me winning back my identity. And knowing that I am fighting for that freedom makes me smile. It makes me smile hard. There is no denying that I am still on a search for peace. I will continue to search for it. At dawn, While the world sleeps, I hunt for peace. But today, I can say with confidence that I have found freedom, and I have found it in running. 
When we put our whole selves into the trails, they give back to us in this immense way. They ask nothing of us. Our company and our respect, that is what they deserve. And in return, they give us life. Running has given me back my life. And for that, I am forever in its debt. Thank you, Marisa, for sharing your story with all of us and for allowing me to read it to everyone. You can find Marisa on Pennsylvania Trails, smiling out there from ear to ear. And you can submit your race reports to me on Facebook, Instagram, and the running mullet at gmail.com. And you can listen to Eric Kosek and I every Monday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, talking all things uh, running at our little podcast called The Running Mullet. I hope you join us next Monday. Thank you so much for listening. You are awesome.